0: Manu Krishan is a human rights professional with an expertise on the rights of the child. He was responsible in the coordination and assistance to the independent expert leading the UN Global Study on Children Deprived of Liberty, and since then works in the Global Campus of Human Rights, where he coordinates and leads the Global Study Follow-Up and Dissemination Programme. Manu first studied philosophy before completing a Master's of Arts in Human Rights, and has worked for a number of international organisations and NGOs. We will, I'm sure, hear more from Manu about his interesting career shortly. But for now, welcome Manu to the Passion Factor, pursuing a career in human rights.
1: Thank you so much.
0: So the first question that I ask everybody on this um, podcast is: is where does it all start? What actually motivated you to work in human rights?
1: First and foremost, as I said, thank you so much for this opportunity and to be able to share my experience. Um, For me, human rights very, very much started um, very, very early. I was born and brought up in in Austria, but originally I'm from India and my um, family, as in my parents, had migrated from India to to Austria, um, where it all kind of started with me traveling um, back to India and very much seeing uh, kind of the polarity from one side to the other of the standards of living, the specific human rights violations that took place um, in India and um, were very dichotomous comparatively to, to what it was in, in Vienna as being brought up, um, being brought up in a family in India at one given point, um, when, I went, when I did go for, for holidays and whatnot, um, seeing um, child labor happening at home. Um, on the streets, seeing forms of exploitation, but also um, it all started very early in, in school in very little um, moments of, um, of, of seeking forms of, of justice, seeing bullying, um, which, which led to um, kind of a form of, of wanting to help. So one of the first things that, uh, that made me get into this was simply wanting to, to help
0: yeah that that rings a bell with me and I think there's one event or one thing that actually happens and it and it kind of sets you off I think on a on a journey um I've sort of said a little bit there about your your career path um in our intro but perhaps you can share with us more about what has been your own career path to date to to where you are now
1: yes I mean I was um Brought up, well, I was working, um, not working. I was studying in in an international school, and my father had actually worked um, within the United Nations. So I had a bit of a connection to the values of the United Nations from from an early start. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, thereafter, I had studied um, philosophy. It was a bit of a a bit of an uh, how would they say an anti. Um, Indian move, my parents would have, of course have thought that I, I end up for becoming a doctor an engineer or something mm-hmm. um, but my my love for 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 learning and learning how to learn came, um, created this path where I first uh, did my degree in philosophy and thereafter coming back realizing due to the specific uh, thematics of um, social philosophy of of um, philosophy of law and philosophy of religion that um, the idea was going to be that um, i use these um, foundations as in fundamentals to kind of move on not knowing at that given moment that i would um, and then thereafter starting a master of arts the vienna master of arts and human rights in vienna which is actually uh, led by manfred Novak, who i very closely worked together with and um, at, this given po- at this given moment. But uh, what had happened is after the master program, I had worked um, for, for an NGO in Nepal, um, child workers in Nepal as a field researcher, um, writing my thesis on, on specific of um, commercial sexual exploitation of children um, in Nepal, where we did a situational analysis. Um, thereafter, I came back to Vienna and um, finalized my, my thesis and moved uh, on to uh, working at the International Organization for Migration at the regional office in Vienna. Um, what happened then was, um, as, as life can twist and turn at moments, I had to um, do my civil service here. So I was working as an emergency medical technician um, for, for around uh, nine months. Thereafter, um, I got a, a, a contract by the Council of Europe, where I was doing election observation for the local and regional authorities. And um, we worked uh, to create an election observation process in Armenia. However, realizing in that moment my love for the thematic of children's rights and uh, realizing that I was kind of drifting away from what, I really, what my real passion was in regards to the human rights field, uh, thereafter, it happened that I discussed, uh, had a meeting with the child rights coordinator Regina Jensdottir of the Council of Europe to see how I would um, have the opportunity to work with her. Realizing at that given moment that uh, Manfred Novak, who was very close um, in, the, in the master a few years back, had become the independent expert leading the global study on children deprived of liberty. So she somehow led me through that path and supported it. And I realized after a few applications with the Council of Europe that there was few things missing in my career, um, which was very uh, much the, the, the substance um, that I had to, had to revamp the substance of child rights. So what I had done is then taken a year to um, re-educate myself in in regards to the children's rights aspect of it all, did a few courses on that online as well as in person, um, as well as a project management course. And thereafter um, with the project management course, we established that I would work with Manfred um, within the Ludwig Boltzmann Institute where he is the founder um, in in Austria, in Vienna and uh, support the coordination and assistance in the UN Global Study on Children Deprived of Liberty. So that was a very um, big jump at that given moment. I was All I was trying to do is work in children's rights, but I was very lucky God, uh, God. To, to do that.
0: Amazing, and, and I think what it shows also is just the kind of variety and breadth of work that we do as human rights professionals and, and where it takes us on our journey. And sometimes it's not always quite a linear path, right? <laughs>
1: sort of just, Definitely uh, not, yeah.
0: <laughs> and, so the, the first kind of, sort of substantive set of questions is around sort of just working and breaking into the sector. As you know, this podcast is for young professionals who are looking to, to, to make their way to start their life in the human rights world. Um, and in the journey that you've had, what skills and qualities do you think that you need to, to make it and to, to have a sustainable career um, in the human rights field?
1: No, definitely, that's that's an incredibly important question. And um, I would very much say first and foremost is patience. I mean, a lot of times we work in in the human rights field um, and things move very slowly. Um, Achievements and positive um, movements in human rights take time. It's very easy to break them, Um, but it is incredibly important to be patient also with your own career. Um, and and as well as the, the human rights field in general, um, that would be number one. Of course, if you're working on the field and if you're working on something that is very um, potentially traumatic um, and difficult to handle, it is of course the the aspect of resilience, um, mm. working and um, towards the the fact that you should um, understand that there are moments where you you would you do descend, desensitize yourself from. From, from from the human rights um, issue. However, not to go that way and to really maintain and take care of yourself in the process, but this is an aspect that I really think is important and which I learned um, my field research um, in Nepal already at, at quite an early um, part of my career. Uh, however, of course, when you talk about skills and qualities, um, it always depends on the specific human rights Um, job that you have. Human rights is so versatile and broad. Um, You can have a desk job on one hand, but on the other side, you can be working on the field with, with um, survivors or victims of human rights violations. Um, But for me personally, one thing was um, I didn't, I had come from um, a bit of a different angle and um, learning how to conduct the research field research and most importantly, for my job at least, it was project management. I really needed to understand how to how to uh, to create the skills and um, the level on such a such that is on par with being able to understand um, how to facilitate and manage um, multiple projects.
0: Yeah, because at the end of the day as much as we need to have our sort of subject matter expertise, we need to be sort of technicians as well right mm-hmm. and have those kind of core substantive skills. but I definitely hear you on the resilience point which we will come back to. um mm-hmm. so the the other sort of big piece for those who are looking to start their career in human rights is around advanced study and doing a master's degree, be a human rights masters or an iteration thereof. and certainly that that's something that you did there and we see that many, human rights organizations and employers are now asking young professionals to have some sort of advanced degree. And I just wondered what your thoughts were about that. A, you know, is it necessary to have it? And if so, when is the right time to do it um, in in your career path?
1: For me, I have to say that um, it was very necessary to do it uh, right after my philosophy degree, Mm. because um, I, I was taking quite a leap, quite a jump from one area of work to the other. And um, I did not have, with the, with the philosophy degree itself, the experience at that given point to, to work in the human rights field. However, I do, I do believe that um, experience in itself, um, working through different forms of volunteering and, and different types of um, experiences that you can gain, um, it is not always necessary to have that um, human rights is a very, very broad and versatile field where people from very different um, interdisciplinaries can work together. Um, however, I do very much suggest uh, that a, an advanced degree in human rights does help. It does help a lot. It mm-hmm. helped me to really, not only in regards to um, the information and the um, education that I received, but also the fact that I was able to network in the, in the, in the um, thematic
0: Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and also there's a there's a big sort of investment not only of time but of money right for doing these master's programs they don't come cheap so yeah, that's, that's very a true of, yeah. to think about there um and man, i'm sure sort of through your career you've seen um a lot of young professionals their cv um uh, or helped or assisted on that so what in in your view makes a good sort of standout human rights cv um if somebody's trying to kind of get get seen and 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 for that first position
1: um i think i think very often um it's it's to be quite adaptive the problem is that the cvs and the the um cover letters or the motivation letters are are very often written for one specific job that they would like and or one type of job let's say if it's project management and then they kind of create a templated project management with a few sentences of why they would be interested in the organization but i think what is really important is to understand that every application itself is a is a is an individual process mm-hmm. and it's a case-by-case process that you have to really look into um, what is wanted from your employer Um, And what is your interest and how can your interest meet uh, the employer's work? And how can your work and how can your skills be an added value to the employer? So um, I feel that very often happens. And I've done that mistake very often, too, where I just would um, have a a number of um, CVs for different types of jobs and just Mm. adapt them very minimally. Um, and send them out. And um, human resources and very often people who are employing, they can see that right away. They see that um, it's not, uh, they're not as interested. They are just interested in having a job. Uh, what is important is really to to show that you ha- want this specific job because you have that real genuine interest in supporting the work and um, having a growth in the career for yourself whilst also supporting the organization and what they do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it. It's just having what someone described as having your passion kind of shining through in mm-hmm. terms of both the CV and the cover letter. And certainly in the cover letter, you don't have that long to kind of get that across. And also, I think showing the impact as well of what you've done. Right. So mm-hmm. not only Definitely. People, yeah.
1: Or the imp- Not only the impact of what you've done or how the impacts would be of, of how what you would be doing. Yeah. So you're looking beyond simply just the, the application and just wanting the job, but you are looking at how you can be an added value to the organization yeah. and added value for your own career growth.
0: Yeah, added value is, is important. And something that you kind of um, alluded to before um, is around networking. And for young professionals, it might feel very counterintuitive to start networking and getting out there and talking to people. but. I'd love to hear about your own experience of networking and, and, and any sort of tips or advice that you, you can offer to those people who are listening, thinking, I know I've got to get out there and network, but don't feel <laughs> confident to do it or comfortable doing it.
1: Oh, no, definitely. I mean, um, it's it's gotten, of course, a lot easier to do that considering all the forms of social media and LinkedIn mm-hmm. and whatnot. And LinkedIn is a, is a great um, platform to specifically do something like this. Yeah. Um, I've already had very often... Um, individuals, yet I've also myself spoken to people who have very interesting, um, how you say, posts and work that they have done. Very often we don't see what other organizations are doing and other people are doing, but within the fr- framework of these platforms, you can really see that there might be overlaps, that there might be uh, in- kind of sharing interests. And um, the way I have done it, it's very, it's, to be very honest and open. Um, to really look at what uh, individuals are doing and to, to just ask them whether they want to have a meeting and to talk about mm-hmm. what they are doing. Um, that's, the, the idea is very often, um, or let's say it happens very often, that one gets contacted and it's a simple question of, do you have a job? And that's somehow that, uh, which, which is not a positive form of networking. It just yeah. does not work. Feels wrong in um, so many
0: ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So, um, but what when you get um, someone writing you that they've read your work or they have seen what you're doing or they've uh, they've seen a presentation of yours and they have a specific question about um, one of the areas of work that you do, um, that then you are of course very inclined and you're very interested also to to network and speak mm-hmm. to them and 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 you know uh, share with them um, opportunities. So I, I do think. These platforms are great Mm. Uh, of of course there's so many um, different types of in-person events of course right now it's very difficult but um, when when it is open when the world is open um, there are many events where you should just simply go if you have an interest in the thematic and you will find people who are working in your country or in um, whichever region or international um, conference people who are working specifically on your area. And sometimes it takes, it's all, all, what all it takes is just to show your face and let them know and uh, that you're there and if they need any support and you have these skills that, that can support their work. Um, and, you know, at one point someone will come back.
0: Absolutely. But I think even now in the midst of the pandemic, you know, there's so many webinars and events happening online. You can sort of, be there, so to speak, in the room and then contact the, the people, the thought leaders afterwards and, and, and you know, make your interest known in that respect as well. But certainly being there in person makes it that bit more personal, um, mm-hmm. certainly. Um, and I suppose aligned to that, as um, young professionals think about sort of breaking into the sector, is that whole piece around undertaking voluntary and pro bono opportunities as a first step and and for me, I've always got a little bit of attention there because young professionals should be paid for their work, you know, um, duly rewarded for, for their work there. But so many first opportunities are pro bono and voluntary. So mm-hmm. where do you sit on that? <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: definitely. Well, more generally
0: about the benefit of pro bono opportunities and things mm. like this.
1: I mean, I totally agree that um, young people should be compensated for 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 their time and work. And I'm also not the biggest fan of unpaid no, I'm absolutely not. I'm very much against unpaid internships and 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 um, any time of work that is not compensated. Um, however, there is a specific time where if you do um, if you are, let's say, still studying, you do not have yet the experiences and the the skills that you would like to to uh, have in 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 applying to a specific job, then I do think there's a there's a benefit of undertaking voluntary pro- opportunities. I mean for me, I was working um, pro, bono, pro bono or voluntarily for Amnesty International just out of interest for quite a while, just to get my knowledge up, um, to also use the voluntary experience as um, a network, uh, a networking opportunity. And so I do very much think it is very positive to do that, but it shouldn't be in the expense of your, your livelihood, you know? Uh, it should... Mm be in a fair way but unfortunately that's how it is very often you do see young people having to do these um, jobs um, and I would very much want that what not want that um, I had to go through that myself but I do think there is a positive um, direction or a positive um, I'd say momentum in um, the internet at least in the human rights field to, to circumvent that
0: absolutely I think that the conversation has started now and certain certainly some bits even of the UN I've seen are now sort of doing paid um, internships or at least remunerated to a degree there. Um, So sort of stepping away a little bit from sort of the the, the breaking into the sector, um, a little bit more around the day-to-day life of a human rights professional, and we're sitting here recording this in the midst of a pandemic, so it's not really sort of life as normal there, but perhaps you could just share with us a little bit about your typical day in your current role, what it looks like.
1: No, definitely. I mean, I wasn't able to say say it before, but of course, um, since I've been working on the global study on children deprived liberty, which we presented in 2019 in October, um, thereafter, uh, the global campus of human rights took it upon itself uh, to do a follow up initiation and a uh, dissemination program. The The reason for that is there have been two previous global studies, one was on children and armed conflict, another one was in violence against children in 1996 and then in 2007, respectively. And this is the third global study. The previous global studies had uh, follow up mechanisms under the Secretary General. So um, these are the special representatives of the Secretary General. Um, which work in the implementation around the world of the of the global study rec- of their global study recommendations. Um, however, of course, um, in this um, specific global study, it was not envisioned to have a follow up mechanism as such. Um, and the, the UN General Assembly had taken note of the global study. Um, but it, of course, takes at least a year for a global study follow-up mechanism to be set up, for finances to be, um, for funding to be uh, sorted out and, and whatnot. So Manfred Novak, um, who was the independent expert uh, and is the Secretary General of the Global Campus, took it upon himself um, from, from um, the Global Campus to at least in this interim um, time of the year, to support the dissemination and implementation of the study around the world. What happened is that we were getting multiple requests from states, from key stakeholders um, in in creating regional or international launches, um, supporting them with tools of implementation. So what I had done then at that given moment is create this program. um, And the program was on the one hand to disseminate the global study through international, regional um, and national Um, conferences to create short, mid and long term strategies of implementation within the framework of these events and to see what was needed by key stakeholders in in these different regions. Um, That was kind of the first objective of the global study program. The second is um, to create specific um, tools and outreach uh, programs and, and projects. So we created a massive open online courses. Um, we had a child-friendly animation, child-friendly summary, um, there are as, as well as um, an executive summary of the global study in the different UN languages and um, implementation projects. Implementation projects, respectively, in South Africa, in um, Austria, in Armenia, as well as in Poznan. Um, so it has been quite interesting that we were able to continue. This is all due to a, the Global Campus and Right Livelihood Foundation, um, which worked work together to implement children's rights around the world. And one of the objectives was a global study as kind of the stepping stone into the cooperation. Um, the third objective was continue the, um, the uh, communication. The communication with, on the one hand, the advisory board. These are 22 experts around the world. Um, an NGO panel, which was 170 NGOs, um, as well as other key stakeholders and, and and so on. So the global study program is three tier in this regard. Um, I, I say this now because um, it's important to understand why. My typical day is the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, we have around fifteen projects around the world that are being implemented, and my day is very often in regards to supporting the different project leads in the implementation of their of their projects, um, which can entail multiple meetings, but also to to work on um, specific aspects of, of their challenges, implementation um, projects, but also to to see how the communication continues, how we continue to disseminate and work with, um, with different um, stakeholders in creating new opportunities. So that very often that ends up being a lot of my day, um, but it's very substantive, yet also very um, project management-based and um, a lot of it to do with support and coordination of the, the leads of the projects.
0: Okay, so never a quiet day. You never quite (laughs) know what's come your way. Um, And sort of thinking back through your career, and you know the the really interesting career that you've had, what have been the highlight or perhaps highlights of your career to date that you that you sort of think about and and really have a high spot for you?
1: Um, Definitely, one of the biggest highlights is simply being given the trust to coordinate and assist. Um, the independent expert. Of course, that in itself was a, a milestone for me. Um, after a few years of, of really ups and downs thematically, or trying to figure out what skills I needed still in, in, in the field, um, but definitely working together, which respectively is also my former professor. So it was quite, uh, okay. um, you know, a holistic, <laughs> a, a full circle in that way. So that was one, um, the presentation of the global study in the United Nations General Assembly. So presenting it in front of uh, what would, I would have never thought at that given moment, that it would have been so quick that I end up um, at the UN General Assembly. Um, but it was one of the most um, most amazing experiences to to have finished such a challenging, incredibly challenging project, um, and putting so much time and effort into it, and then really feeling that we have we have managed something that a lot of people would have not been able to manage in in that in that time frame and with that uh, very much lack of resources that we had at a given point.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, now that sounds amazing to have kind of been in front of the UN General Assembly. giving the the presentation.
1: It definitely was, yes. Uh
0: Um, And equally, sort of, have you faced any setbacks or challenges in your career? And I suppose, how did you handle them? And I think all through our human rights career, we have had ups and downs.
1: (laughs) No, definitely. I mean, as I had said before, there have been quite a few um, in that regard, but um, the, the real setback was, for me, whilst I was in the Council of Europe and working and having... a a well-paid, good job, um, but thematically not being where I wanted to be um, and then not real and realizing that in the end of the day, um, it's not all about simply having, um, being only financially well-off and stable. Um, You should have something that you love to do on a day-to-day basis, especially in regards to human rights. It's not an easy field. Um, so for me the setback was really to take that um, step back um, from the Council of Europe at that given moment and to, to, to work on myself, um, just to believe in the fact that, you know, if I do put the time and effort, uh, I did do the child rights course um, and multiple ones online, got myself um, the network, people, people went to all the meetings that I could have uh, to find um, connections. Um, but as well, one of the most important things was me understanding that I needed the technical skills and project management, which would, would be essential for me to take that next step. So that was a challenge and it was quite a difficult year at that moment um, because you feel that you you might have made a mistake. But in the end of the day, you just need to trust in the process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think... For me, it was having an aberration in my career and doing procurement for a year, actually, at the Council of Europe, but we learned from that and we sort of <laughs> massage it in and build it into our CVs. There we have business and human rights. Mm, there we are. Um, and, and I suppose along, alongside that, you know, when we have these sex and challenges, the importance and the value of, of mentorship, having somebody or actually maybe more than one person walk alongside us during our career who can help and support and guide us i mean it can be for different things at different times but um i suppose my question is to you twofold have you had such a person through your career to date and just generally your thoughts about the value of, of mentorship
1: i think it's incredibly important to have some form of mentorship um some form of guidance um at your work but in private as well um mentorship in in my sense of course a lot of it was uh, my former professor as well as my Colleague now Manfred Novak, who did uh, a lot of mentorship for me, and um, and I've very often learned so much with simply by seeing how he does things, you know. Um, so I definitely think mentorship is an incredible important value. Um, if it wasn't have been, wouldn't have been for a colleague of mine, George Eunice, who, who mentored me throughout the, that one year that I just t- t- talked about. Um, went through, took his time, and uh, sat down with me to discuss not only um, how I felt um, for my work, but how I felt in private, and um, it was really therapeutic and necessary. Um, I would have not been able to be where I am now if it wasn't for the specific mentorship that I had. So I do, I do have to say, it is incredibly important to have people that that do s- sit there and that guide you, and and do, and of course because of the specific experience I had I try to do it as much as possible wherever I can so I do suggest it also to to students and and people working because I'm very connected to to the the master programs and of course um, very often try to help wherever needed so I do I very much cherish and value it and I don't think I would be where I am if I didn't have the mentorship and guidance that I I got.
0: Yeah no absolutely I fully agree with you if we if we can help those people as they start out you know just just having the insights that we have in this in this kind of world and the human rights world I think we're, we're really supporting the new generation mm-hmm. um, and it kind of brings me neatly to I suppose my last substantive question and it's something again that you mentioned before there that you know we both know that this is a very very tough area to work in both emotionally um, physically sometimes you know we are dealing with the dark side of life in human rights work so how do we look after ourselves as human rights professionals and this whole concept of self-care within the human rights space, which I think is now becoming much more of an issue and and is being discussed a lot more, but again, how have you handled it and managed it? And then, you know, what advice and and guidance can you offer to others?
1: Definitely. I mean, for me, there have been different points in my career where on the one hand, there would be some form of exhaustion um, because of difficult issues or Also, exhaustion specifically for the amount of work that we end up doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it can be twofold or it cannot be together, of course. Um, But right now, I I can't really speak for the kind of thematic exhaustion. Of course, I do work on Children Deprived of Liberty and it's very, um, yeah, it's heart aching. But of course, I'm not as Close as all the different project leads are on the ground. When I was working on the com- um, the situational analysis in Nepal um, on commercial sexual exploitation of children, also interviewing children who had um, some form of um, experiences in such a such a matter. Um, yes, first and foremost, what's what's incredibly important is to take care of yourself because if you are not able to take care of yourself um, in the process, you are actually harming um, the work and the people around you. So um, it is so. It is so important to be reflexive to be reflective to consistently look out um, for yourself but not only for yourself but your colleagues Uh, very often people fall into this trap of um, you know burnout being a form of failure or not being able to handle it Um, you know there's a there's a thought that goes behind it which is um, not correct you know and the burnout and exhaustions are very real issues as you say um, that's, that need to be dealt with, people should be able to care first for themselves and be able to say when they need help in that moment. You know. So um, when, when you do, for instance, go um, into different fields, operations or missions or whatnot, um, one of the best ways of, is, of course, um, forms of consistent therapy and consistent um, debriefing with your colleagues, talking about what you felt how you, um, how you felt it in the, in the process, to really leave it there. And unfortunately, very often human rights professionals, because of the love they have for the work, do not leave the work there. They take it home with them, take the emotions home with them, which um, can very take its bad toll and, and end up um, really harming them in the process.
0: Yeah, I would couldn't agree more with you on that, that, you know, we need to kind of just ring fence ourselves a little bit and take good care of ourselves, because then we cannot do a good job if we're not sort of our best selves. So the people that we are looking to support. Um, and it's something that I always tell young professionals there as much as the kind of it's a fantastic sector to work in, but you need to know that this work is tough and hard and it will affect you. So as we draw this to a close, I suppose just can you offer any sort of final words or pearls of wisdom that people who've listened to you and think, yes, I still want to work in the human rights field. It's still where my heart lies. <laughs> any final sort of clarion calls or, or words of wisdom? As I say?
1: Um, yes. I mean, for me, I think what's incredibly important is um, to really trust the process, understand that um, the field itself is not easy and things take time. Um, but, when you do reach the points um, and you have your successes, it's, it's worth every difficulty, every challenge, every um, problem that you face throughout human rights. The human rights field is incredibly um, positive in the sense of it's fulfilling. It really helps you f- feel um, how you would say um, that, you, that you're doing on the one hand what you love what you what the world kind of needs what you can be good at but at the the best something that you can also be paid for
0: yeah yeah no that that's that's very positive note to finish on thank you um and if people want to get in touch with you or want to find out more about what you do or sort of just be in touch what's the best way that they can connect to you
1: they can always find me on linkedin on linkedin Mm -hmm. uh, just simply to search manu Krishan. Um, of course, they can also write me an email at manu.krishan at gchumanrights.org. Um, and I'm happy to, you know, support and, and you know, have any meetings or whatnot, if, if they wish to.
0: Thank you, Manu. You've been a fantastic guest. And thank you for being so open and, and sharing your, your journey.
1: Thank you so much for this opportunity. And I really hope um, that listeners will take it positively and really continue their research and work in
0: human rights.